0: we begin our celebration of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. We join the drama which unfolds in four acts and the epilogue. Everything Jesus did in his 33 years on earth, built toward the weekend that changed the world. Please listen as Pastor Harris begins the narrative in today's slice of this week's Easter message, entitled, Three Days Changed the World. We're going to, of course, uh, focus on the resurrection today, and uh, we need to understand that what we're doing, in a sense, is not biblical, but it's profoundly biblical. It's not biblical in the sense that um, there's no command to celebrate Easter. The name Easter comes from a uh, Teutonic goddess. It's not a Christian holiday. We're not told to celebrate it, but... Even though the early church knew nothing of celebrating what we call Easter, what they did celebrate was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every day they celebrated, every week they celebrated it, because the reason Sunday was established as the primary day to worship is because that was the day that Jesus' resurrection took place, and it was distinct from the Sabbath day, the seventh day, the day of rest under, under the law of Moses. Now, in God's eyes, understand, today, it isn't special, any more special than any other day. God does not get dressed up on Easter Sunday and send His angels on a heavenly hunt for asteroids filled with candy or angel food cake or something like that. There's a whole bunch of stuff that has arisen around the celebration of Easter and springtime and fertility and new life and all of that that... Doesn't have anything to do with why we're here. What makes Easter special for us is that, rather like Christmas, this is the time when untold millions of people all around the world pay some kind of homage to Jesus Christ. It's what they should do every day of their lives. But it therefore gives us a a wonderful opportunity to proclaim what it really is about. And I have no problem with unabashedly celebrating Christ's resurrection once a year. This morning, I want to take you on a brief voyage through um, the events of the most incredible weekend of all time. There are many, many passages you could select to do an exposition from for for Easter. And we've done that on many occasions. But I always like seeing the big picture. I always like putting things in context. And so I want to talk to you today about how three days changed the world. Now, what's the background to this? Well, Jesus lived about 33 years, 30 of them pretty much in obscurity after His miraculous birth. And then... Um, A little over three years, about three and a half years, he was doing public ministry, during which time he taught multitudes with a clarity and an authority unknown among the Jews of his time. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He made such an impact in that department that it was said of him that he banished disease from Galilee during his ministry there. He reaped a mixed harvest of reaction, ranging from profound adoration to thrill-seeking curiosity and then, of course, bitter hatred that led to the cross in one sense. Time and again, He proved that He was the promised Messiah. Time and again, He demonstrated His deity. Finally, He returned to Jerusalem, having been there uh, every year during his ministry and probably with his parents on many occasions. But this time he came for the last time and he arrived to incredible fanfare and and worship. He Remember, he came to the city and they, they shouted, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. It was a wonderful reception. And once in the city during the next few days, he had confrontations in public with most of the factions of the religious leaders among the Jews. He took on the Sadducees, he took on the Pharisees, took on the Herodians, and then most significantly for those days, the Sanhedrin, the the governing body of the Jews, and the, the Romans allowed them to pretty much take care of their own affairs. During that week, he also gave his final public address. It's known as the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. He predicted his death and resurrection for the eighth time during his ministry. He was symbolically anointed by Mary for his burial and then he celebrated the Passover on Thursday evening with his disciples. Meanwhile, Judas Iscariot had been an extremely skilled hypocrite and nobody knew that he was going to be the betrayer except him and Jesus, but He had gone and made arrangements to betray Jesus to the chief priests so that he could be arrested. Jesus, being omniscient, he knew all about the plot, so he had dismissed Judas from the the Passover meal to give him time to get across town to put his plan in action. Then Jesus gave some spectacularly important instructions to the other 11 remaining disciples. That's John 13, 14, 15, and 16. Then they went out to pray. He went out to pray, took them with Him to the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, that was the place that He knew that Judas would bring the mob to arrest Him. We're going to join this drama, which unfolds for this incredible weekend, in four acts and an epilogue. Everything that Jesus did in those 33 years on earth built toward this weekend that forever changed the world. Act 1 of this drama is the arrest. Act 2, the trial. Act 3, the crucifixion. Act 4, the resurrection. And we will wrap it up with the epilogue. Now, Act 1 is the arrest. And okay, yeah, I know, I'm stretching weekend a little bit. This is Thursday night. Okay, but we're going to stop on Sunday morning. We're not going to go through the whole Sunday night. So give me Thursday night through Sunday morning, and we'll call that a weekend, okay? John 18, 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, that was His great prayer in John 17, after His words in John 13 through 16. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went forth with His disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, the Kidron Valley to the, uh, to the east of Jerusalem, where there was a garden, In which he entered with his disciples. Now, Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons, all to arrest a man that had never harmed anyone or threatened anyone. The other Gospels explain that when Judas arrived with this mob uh, that was provided by the Romans, it was the Sanhedrin that asked the Romans to send the soldiers to arrest uh, Jesus. Uh, We're told in the other Gospels that's when Judas went up to Jesus and kissed Him. Why the kiss? Well, they had up to possibly as many as 600 Roman soldiers who likely knew very little about Jesus, so Judas said, I'll... I'll plant a kiss on the one that that is the target of the arrest. Then one of my favorite little sections in all of the Gospels, John 18, 4 through 6. Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon Him, He was the only one who knew everything that was going to happen that night. He went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered Him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, in the Greek, ego Ami, I am, translated here, I am he. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. When therefore, Jesus, when therefore he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground with his words. When Jesus used those two Greek words, Ego, me, I am, which is the exact translation of Exodus three fourteen and 15, that is the name of God. I am that I am. When Jesus said that, He did a couple of things. Number one, He made them declare that it was only Him they wanted. He did that in part to protect His men so they would not get swept up in the arrest. And He also demonstrated that no matter what they did, he was in control. Now that last sentence there is awesome. It's a euphemism. Jesus said those words and they drew back and fell to the ground. Now if you are knocked backward and you fall to the ground, on what do you land? Jesus did that to them with two words. Well, that was when Peter stepped forward, probably thinking, hey, is this, this is going our way here, pulled out his little sword and as if he's going to fight 600 soldiers on his own. All he accomplished was cutting off the ear of the high priest's slave and Dr. Luke, the one that gives more detail about healings and things, he, he explains that Jesus politely replaced the severed ear and thus began Peter's excruciating series of lessons that night, about doing god 's will in god 's way rather than taking matters into his own hands, but that 's Act one: the arrest Act two is the trial, and this is a complicated part of the of the plot. Jesus actually had two trials: he had a Jewish trial and a Roman trial, and each trial had three phases, so all night he was dragged around and bounced back and forth from one place to another in a massive Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald for Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.